Welcome back to Boilers and Beyond. I'm Jordan Jones. We're back here today. It is Saturday night. I'm recording this a little bit earlier than I normally would, but I will be off the grid tomorrow. So I wanted to get this done uh, early so it can be in your feeds on Monday morning. Um, We're back here after Ryan Walters' first week being Purdue's head coach. A lot to talk about there. Uh, We had initial thoughts and reaction to the hire uh, in the last episode that was up on Wednesday. But since then, we've had a press conference where he was introduced to the Purdue world. Uh, He has hired an offensive and defensive coordinator. We'll talk about all of that here today. Plus, Purdue took down Davidson 69-61 in the inaugural Indy Classic. Uh, We'll look at that game where Purdue won ugly, as well as the future of Purdue playing in these games in Indianapolis. So plenty to get to here. Let's jump right in. Uh, If you don't follow on Twitter, uh, what are you missing out on? There's plenty there at Boilers Beyond. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We'll uh, I'll find something to talk about before Christmas and then between the holidays, I'll have a preview of Purdue's Citrus Bowl matchup with LSU. So subscribe so that you don't miss any of that. But, you know, I wanted to talk about football first here today. Really interesting stuff. You know, the Ryan Walters hire initially drew some mixed reviews from Purdue fans, and understandably so. Uh, Mike Babinski, even in the press conference with Ryan Walters, talked about how there was a deeper candidate pool this time, how he had some sort of contact with about a dozen names, how, you know, the job was much more appealing than it was back in 2016. And I I think there's no doubt about that. I think it certainly is a more appealing job, but Ryan Walters, you know, a first time head coach, a defensive guy, a very young guy. I don't know that many Purdue people thought that was the path that Mike Babinski and company would go. But when you heard Mike Berghoff, uh, the chairman of the board of trustees and Mitch Daniels and Mike Babinski all speak before Ryan Walters was introduced uh, at his press conference on Wednesday, they spoke with a great deal of conviction that they got their guy. And that's what you want to hear. You don't, and I say that, you know, you don't often hear athletic directors go up there and say, well, you know, we, we whiffed on our first three candidates, so we settled on this guy. I don't know whether that was the case for Purdue or not, but it was very clear that Ryan Walters won them over pretty quickly. Uh, they spoke glowingly of him. They spoke with very little fear about him. And you heard... I think it was Mike Babinski say that Ryan Walters gave them the highest ceiling of any candidate they can hire. And that's a great thing. That means they're taking big swings. And ultimately that's what you want to see. You know, if you want the program to keep moving forward and keep growing, that's what you want to hear. You want these swings to be big. It's not easy. There's risk involved with any hire you make, but Purdue seemed very, very confident at a couple of different levels, that Ryan Walters is the guy. And when he spoke, you could see why. 
Uh, he came across with great charisma. He came across with great confidence. Uh, very well-spoken, very articulate. Uh, it was impressive. You don't want to put too much stock into whether someone wins the press conference or not, but he did. He certainly did. He gave you reason to believe that he's a good hire for Purdue. A couple things I noticed, and you know, I'm not going to dive too much into this because we have proof to some of the pudding here, but thought it was a great sign the way he talked about offense in general. And we'll get to the offensive coordinator hire here soon. But, you know, he acknowledged that at times defensive coaches can just want to win with defense and that they want to really, you know, make things ugly. You know, think a Wisconsin style, think an Iowa style, think really what Illinois kind of did last year. Um, that's not the way he wants to coach. He brought up that he wants to do the things that keep defensive coordinators up at night, that gave him problems. I don't think it's much of a coincidence that he said that after his defense's worst performance this past year in 2022 came against Purdue, came when Purdue went over there and put up 31 points on him. They gave up 12 on average all season, and Purdue went over there and put up 31 points. I think that was you know, a good indication that he wants to throw the ball around. He doesn't want to just run it into the line and hope for the best. He certainly touched on the cradle of quarterbacks, giving a shout out to Purdue's tradition at quarterback. And again, you know, you don't want to try to make Purdue into a running team. Uh, Daryl Hazel kind of tried that, but, you know, they were down so much in every game that they never really could be a running team. That's not the way things are going to work at Purdue. Uh, it just historically never has worked that way. That's not to say that because things have always been this way, they can never be this other way. But the data certainly suggests that that's the case at Purdue. The confidence he has in his defense, though, is pretty impressive, rightfully so. It was in his Q&A session where... He said, I'm the, I believe I'm the best defensive coordinator in the country. 24-7 sports on three, they agree with him. And you respect that confidence. He talked about his defense, uh, and you could see how much, how much pride he takes in the defense that he developed, the scheme, uh, the, the mentality. You know, I, I should have written it down. It, it was something about how, you know, Purdue was going to be controlled chaos between the whistles, but laser focused between the whistle and the snap. And that, I think, is, is something really good. It speaks to some discipline that Purdue hasn't always had in recent years. Uh, I thought it was interesting whether he'll call the defensive plays or not. You know, he wouldn't commit to that, to whether he would or wouldn't. And that's okay. He doesn't have to. Um, I, I think having an idea of how he wants things to be run is important, and he certainly does. He wants to maintain that same style of defense he ran at Illinois. I think that's good. It's worked. It's something that you know Illinois didn't exactly have a great deal of talent, and I, they had talented players, don't get me wrong, but it's not like they were oozing with four- and five-star recruits on that defense. And he did some great things with that. 
you would love for him to bring that to Purdue. I think his confidence as a whole, though, just the way he speaks, you can see why Purdue, why Berghoff, why Daniels, why Babinski fell in love with him. You can see why early returns in terms of player feedback are really good. Uh, obviously, the video went viral of him giving Devin Mockaby a scholarship as his first act as head coach. That's a great little PR win for him. That's awesome. Uh, Well-deserved for Maccabee, of course. But his youth, his charisma, that all is going to resonate really well with players. I think that's something that Purdue didn't necessarily have with the last staff, and it's not a must. Don't get me wrong. You can win without being you know, someone who resonates great and connects great with the players to some degree, but you have to have a good connection. He seems to early on. He understands the importance of recruiting. He talked about the state of Indiana, which what else are you going to say? But there's talent in Indiana. Uh, it's growing as a football state. It's continued to grow over time. And you see you know, a number of big-time Power 5-level players out of this state each year. So him him understanding the importance of that and prioritizing it, very big. I thought one thing that didn't come from his press conference but came out that I thought really stood out, I think it was an interview with The Athletic. He talked about the alignment at Purdue as something that really sold him about the job. That's an awesome thing to hear. If you're a Purdue fan and you're someone quite invested in Purdue, you know, that's a great indicator that Things from the board of trustees to the president's office to the athletic department. If all of that's aligned well, you're in really good shape there. And of course, Purdue's an interesting one where the John Purdue Club is is involved. Uh, it's very strong, but you don't have the the rogue boosters that you hear about at other schools. Regardless, that alignment is something that when you're in a situation like Purdue, when you are fighting to be a middle of the pack team in your conference, you know, Purdue's not going to be a Michigan, Ohio State, or a Penn State. And when USC comes over, it's not going to be a USC, but you're competing with the rest. And I think that alignment is something that is really big. You can't get there without it, but without alignment, you can see things go really poorly really quick. For a while there, Purdue didn't have it, where commitment to winning was a whole lot different across different levels. And you saw that become a big issue. This suggests that dysfunction is not an issue at Purdue. And it certainly doesn't appear to be from afar, but just hearing that confirmed from someone who went through the interview process was really strong. Walters wasted no time making an offensive coordinator hire, and that's what we'll go next. Purdue hired Graham Harrell as their offensive coordinator, a name that probably isn't all that unfamiliar to some of you. Uh, he made a name for himself as the quarterback of Texas Tech uh, under the late Mike Leach, really had a great career there. I'm impressed with this. Uh, he's only 37 years old. So this is really, you know, part of a youth movement and it's not done yet, but 
You know, this is a guy who at 37, kind of like Ryan Walters, has a heck of a lot of experience under his belt. He's already spent seven seasons as an offensive coordinator. At 37 years old, you don't hear that much, but spent three seasons at North Texas, then three out at Southern Cal, and one at West Virginia, where he came from. That is something I expected, was for Ryan Walters to go with someone who has experience calling the plays. I think that's important when you're going to go with a young head coach. I don't think the age of his coordinators is all that important, but they need to be experienced, and he certainly is. Whether it's a true air raid style or not, that can be debated. I don't know that it's quite a true air raid, but he likes his offenses to throw the ball a lot. And that's, again, if you're skeptical about a defensive head coach, and understandably so, this is an indication that that's not how things are going to be done here. This is Ryan Walters following up on his word, what was it, a day later after he said it? You know, that Purdue was not going to be a defense-only team. And this is a great follow-up on that. Uh, I think this is something to be quite excited about. You know, his offenses have been good, largely. I don't know if it's fair to say they've been great, but he's dealt with some interesting circumstances. Um, This past year at West Virginia, you know, Neil Brown was on the hot seat kind of all year. They didn't fire him, but uh, he might be getting fired next year. Kind of the same deal at USC with Clay Helton. Uh, Things were a mess there. Uh, He had a great offense in 2019, weird COVID year, and then Clay Helton got fired after like two games in 2021. So, had some odd circumstances, but the numbers are solid. Uh, The numbers are absolutely solid. It'll be interesting to see. You know, he does have connections to a couple of transfer portal quarterbacks, Keaton Slovis from Pitt, who Harrell coached at Southern Cal, and then JT Daniels, who he coached at West Virginia this past year. Again, I'm recording this Saturday night. If something happens there uh, before you listen to this, sorry, uh, I'll get it to it on the next show. But I think that's something to monitor because I've, I'm of the opinion Purdue needs to bring in a quarterback for next year, not necessarily to start. Now, those two would both be guys who would project as starters, but for some depth. I think that's going to be really important. This hire, though, hiring a proven name who's been a hot name around college football a little bit, that doesn't happen without the increased assistant pool. Uh, I don't guess I didn't talk about this, but you know it's come out uh, that he's going to have about five and a half to six million dollars in an assistant pool. That's substantial. That's a big growth over the four million that Jeff Brom had. Now he's making less than Brom did head coach salary, but still. That doesn't happen without a bigger assistant pool. Harrell was making 800000 at West Virginia. I'll be interested to see what it is at Purdue, but I can't imagine it went backward. Uh, that's going to be really interesting, but a good, a good hire. Now, a year from now, we could look at this and say it's a disaster. Uh, you know, time will tell, but on paper, I like it a lot. Same deal with the defensive coordinator hire, Kevin Kane from Illinois. Uh, He was the assistant head coach to Brett Bielema there and the outside linebackers coach. Another guy, he's young, he's in his 30s. Uh, All three of these guys, Walters, Harrell, Kane, 
All of them are under 40 years old. So again, a heck of a youth movement here. Uh, some really, really young blood in there. And I, I, I like it. I like it a lot. It's a game where you need to have that type of energy. You need to have guys who can relate to players. It helps with recruiting. Uh, I absolutely love this. Two years at Illinois, but he has experience as a true defensive coordinator from his time at Northern Illinois and SMU. So he's got experience in that role. He has experience calling a defense, and he has experience with Ryan Walters in that defense that he likes to run. Uh, two years with him there. Again, you don't want to read too much into anything, but Walters expressed the importance of having a defensive coordinator he was comfortable with. This certainly indicates it. Uh, Kane is someone who, by all accounts, Illinois thought really well of. Uh, they thought highly of. He was in contention to be their defensive coordinator after Walters left. A good get for Purdue. He's got a lot of experience at a young age. Same deal. Uh, he spent time at Wisconsin as well as Northern Illinois and Illinois. So there's some real Midwest experience there. Uh, it's not everything. Graham Harrell certainly doesn't have much Midwest experience, but it's never a bad thing to have it. I don't think it's the end-all be-all the way it used to be, but it helps. Uh, one stat I really liked about Kevin Kane is that when he was at SMU, they ranked number one in the nation in sacks per game. And that is a philosophy that I you have to take if you're going to have an up-tempo offense. You kind of have to have a disruptive defense, too, in the sense that you have to take some chances uh, you can't just sit back and, and, you know, don't beat us deep. We'll let you dink and dunk and, you know, hopefully you make a mistake. That's not going to work. Uh, not going to work at all if your offense is a threat to go three and out pretty quickly sometimes. So I think that's a good sign. Whether he'll call the defense or not, time will tell. But again, you know, two hires down, more will be coming quickly. And so far... I like what I've seen from Ryan Walters a lot. Uh, he's not coached a game. He's not coached a practice. He's not done a whole lot, but I like what I've seen so far. An area that's gotten some notice uh, recently, decommitments. You know, anytime there is a coaching change, they're bound to happen. And as we speak right now, Purdue is at six guys who have decommitted from their 2023 recruiting class. The early signing period starts on Wednesday, uh, so it's not out of the question that more guys come there uh, or decommit before then or guys delay their decisions until February. Uh, you don't have to sign on December 21st, but you can. I think you know this is certainly notable. 60 commitments is a lot. Uh, that's a pretty healthy chunk of Purdue's class, but... Look, I don't think it's the end of the world here. Something to keep in mind uh, in terms of how roster construction has changed. We talk about the transfer portal a lot, but I think the biggest change that applies here is the rule on initial qualifiers now. Uh, there's no limit on how many guys you can bring in in one cycle. Before, you know, you could only bring in 25 guys and you could replace your transfers up to seven. So if you lost seven transfers or more, 
you could bring in a total of 32 guys, that 25 plus up to seven. Now, there's no limit. So if this signing class is smaller, so be it. I don't think any of these guys were going to project as instant difference makers. Uh, Kendrick Gilbert probably being the most noticeable one, but again, getting on the field as a true freshman on defense, tough to do. Uh, Not impossible, but tough to do. If this class is smaller, oh well. The staff is going to have to be active in the transfer portal anyway. I I think this roster needs it. Uh, I think you need it to be feeling all right about your chances of being a bowl team in 23, Uh, and you just need to bolster with some experience. You lose a ton. And then in terms of high school guys, it is still critically important. Uh, You can't just win based off signing a bunch of guys out of the portal. I don't think that's going to be a viable way to build a program. You have to have good high school recruiting, good internal development, but there's no limit on what you can take in the 2024 class. So if you have some scholarships to work with, maybe you're not quite at 85, then go use those in the 24 class if you can't fill it up out of the portal. I mean, this isn't, you know, it's not 2023 or bust here. Uh, You want to be competitive right away. You want to make a bowl game, but you can roll some of those scholarships over and really hit that 2024 class hard. So we'll keep talking about that moving forward. Certainly something to keep an eye on with early signing day coming up on Wednesday. Turning the page to basketball here. Uh, Purdue had the week off, at least during the weekdays, finals week. Got back in action tonight, Saturday night. 69-61 to win over Davidson down in Indianapolis. The first ever Hoosier Classic. Um, look, this game wasn't pretty. This is two games in a row now where Purdue has relied on winning ugly one in spite of some really horrendous three-point shooting uh Purdue finished the game tonight three of 25 from three-point range uh so that's 12 percent that's not very good uh credit to Purdue in the sense that you know they they forced Davidson to struggle a little bit uh Davidson didn't exactly shoot the lights out themselves, 39%, uh, 28% from three. So, you know, not a pretty game uh, at all. Purdue really won this one at the foul line. Uh, Purdue, 37 free throw attempts to 11 for Davidson. So, again, Purdue used the size advantage quite a bit. Zach Eady, 29 points, 16 rebounds. Caleb first, 12 points, 13 rebounds. Uh, Braden Smith, a double-double, 10 points, 12 rebounds. But, you know, as a whole, this this wasn't a great performance for Purdue on offense. Defensively, they played really well. Um, They'd lose some guys. They lost some Davidson three-point shooters at untimely moments. But as a whole, I don't know that there was ever really a time I thought Purdue would lose this game. But it wasn't pretty. It wasn't a fun watch. Um it's remarkable how Zach Eady can come into a game where the team is all out denying him. Davidson did all they could to not let him beat them. They were trying to deny entry passes. They were doubling, forcing it out of his hands. 
He finishes 9 of 11 from the field, makes 11 of 15 free throws for 29 points. It's remarkable. Uh, Just unbelievable stuff there. Caleb first gave Purdue some unbelievable energy in the second half. Purdue did not look good in the first half, and it's not like they you know, set the world on fire in the second half either, but he got eight or ten points really, really quick. He got a bunch of rebounds. This double-double was in the second half alone. Um, second half, he had 12 rebounds, so pretty impressive second half from Caleb first. A really strong game for him, but you know, the story here I think has produced three-point shooting, and Three of 25 here, they were what, six of 26 or something at Nebraska? So, you know, they're roughly, say, nine of their last 50 from three-point range. That's getting alarming. That's getting alarming really quick. Um, Purdue's not been a great three-point shooting team this year as a whole. Now, it's interesting because this appears on paper to be a good shooting team. You know, Fletcher Lawyer, we know he's a talented shooter, but two of 10 from three at Nebraska, one of eight against Davidson, and struggling a little bit. Brandon Newman hasn't looked all that comfortable uh, on the offensive end the last couple games. You need him to be a shooter. David Jenkins, same deal. Again, it's tough with him because, as I've said, He's being asked to play a role that really doesn't fit him all that well, but Purdue's got to knock down these shots. Coming into this game, Purdue was shooting 33% from three as a team. That obviously went down. I don't know what it is right now, but it's gone down. Um, Teams are going to keep throwing this at Zach Eady. The all-out denial, the take it all away from him, and until Purdue can shoot teams out of that, teams are going to keep doing it, and it's going to keep giving Purdue problems. Um, credit to Purdue, though, for overcoming that. Uh, they started really slow at the free throw line, overcame that as well. So, you know, it wasn't pretty. Uh, I mean, 19 of 58 from the field, 32.8%. Whew, not, not good, but... Purdue won. Uh, they will likely hold on to their number one ranking for another week. Um, but yeah, not all that great of a game. Uh, the lawyer bowl was a little underwhelming, though Fletcher uh, really knocked down some free throws late. Double-double for Foster Lawyer, 11 points, 10 assists, but he didn't shoot all that well. Um, Davidson's a tough, tough little team. Um, well coached, you know, the McKillop family. Incredibly well thought of. First Bob, now Matt, um, running that program at Davidson. Good program. Uh, A game that I don't think you usually like playing these mid-majors that are good. Generally, you know, it's kind of like football. You don't want to schedule good group of five teams. Here, you know, it's a game that ideally you probably don't play because it looks bad when you lose to a mid-major. Purdue didn't do that, but... It was close. Um, it wasn't one that, you know, people are going to lead lead podcasts and lead the national narrative talking about, but they survived. They move on. Now Purdue 
has two games left before the new year, both against 300-plus Ken Palm teams. Uh, they take on New Orleans on Wednesday. New Orleans was 340 at Ken Palm last I checked. And then they take on Florida A&M on December 29th. Uh, the Rattlers were winless last I saw. Uh, they, again, are terrible. So Purdue should get the chance to work on some of these shooting woes, uh, get back in, you know, get back in the positive marks there. And they should be undefeated going to the new year for the first time since 2009, 2010, when they were undefeated going into the new year and got that new year started with a bang with an unforgettable win over West Virginia at Mackey. I did want to talk here. We've got a couple of questions, but before that, um, Purdue's future in Indianapolis. You know, this is something that Purdue's longed to do. Uh, they've always liked playing a game in Indianapolis around this time. It was the Crossroads Classic. Before that, it was the Wooden Tradition. Purdue's always really valued playing a game in Indianapolis, but I do have some questions about the viability of it. Attendance wasn't great. Uh, I can, I wasn't there, but I saw plenty of pictures. Uh, the upper deck, the, the balcony there, it's the dark side of the moon to begin with, but not many people there. Uh, let's see. Is there an attendance for this game anywhere? I don't know that I'll be able to find that, but I would love to uh, would love to find it. Attendance 9,242, so less than half of Gainbridge Fieldhouse was sold. That's worse than I thought, actually. Yikes. So that even further proves my point. You know, unless you can get a strong opponent or a good other game to pair it with, the viability of this is questionable. Um, this turned out to be a close game. You know, Davidson's a good mid-major, as I said, but it's not something that, you know, you get the schedule in August or whatever, and you say, hey, I got to go get tickets for this. I want to see Purdue play Davidson. Not quite that. Um, I don't know who that team would be. I know it's not that simple. Uh, scheduling is not easy. I fully understand that. And if you want to make it an annual thing where you play in Indianapolis, it makes it a little tougher because you can't really sign up for a return trip somewhere. But, you know, again, pairing it with Ball State versus Illinois State, it doesn't move the needle for people. Um, it doesn't move the needle for me. I have a lot of, you know, a lot of friends who go to these types of games, didn't go to this one. Um, and the attendance certainly reflects that interest wasn't all that there. It'll be interesting to see what Purdue does. You know, again, I, it's tough to ask, you know, I did look at tickets out of curiosity and it's tough to ask season ticket holders who already pay for their seats at Mackey to go spend 74 bucks, uh, for a lower level or club level seat to watch them play Davidson in Indianapolis. Um, I don't know. Uh, I just don't know how, where this is going to go. It's something that I, I think is a good idea. Of course, you know, you want to maintain that Indianapolis presence. It's probably cool for players to play in an NBA arena. Um, I don't really have great, great pulse on what's cool for players, but 
It can't be a bad thing, but without a big opponent or without a setup like the crossroads where you could have four fan bases, in reality mostly two, but four fan bases trying to fill it up, then it gets a little easier. But without that, it's rough. Uh, We'll see what happens moving forward, but just something to keep an eye on because that attendance number was really, really poor. A couple of questions here. I got a DM from one of you. Thank you. Uh, my DMs are always open. Um, always look forward to hearing from you all. With all the roster turnover in college sports now, is it time to get rid of preseason rankings? Example, UNC was ranked number one, now sits at unranked. Uh, at the time of recording, they beat Ohio State. Maybe they'll get back in. I don't know. But Purdue was unranked in the preseason and is now sitting at number one. You know, yes and no to this. Preseason rankings are what you make them. Um, you know, they're an entertainment thing. I think with college basketball especially, I think they are probably a good thing because it adds to the intrigue of the early season a little bit. It's no secret that basketball in November is rather tough going up against football. Um, that's why, you know, I'm recording this on Saturday This was really the first big blockbuster day of the season because you can't really compete with football Saturdays. It doesn't work. Um, You had some of those MTEs, but even you saw the, you know, the Phil Knight legacy um, that played Thursday, Friday, Sunday to avoid a college football Saturday. So, you know, it helps generate interest. They don't mean anything, especially in basketball. You know, again, you have four full months of the regular season where these data points work themselves out. Uh, teams can fluctuate really well, but in basketball, it works itself out easily. I think the same in football generally. Uh, fewer data points, but again, things work themselves out. You know, A&M fell out pretty quick on their way to, where they go, four and eight, five and seven. It, things work themselves out pretty good. Um, it's not like it's something that the NCAA tournament committee values. Uh, they don't even look at it. You know, they look at the net. So I don't think it's time to get rid of them, but I think taking stock in them is kind of a fool's game unless you're just looking for excitement. And this was a good one. You know, the story of the summer was Nigel Pack, uh, choosing Miami over Purdue, $800,000, yada, yada. You know, the story. But how different would this team be with him? Would Smith or Lawyer be behind him on the depth chart? Would it affect team chemistry? It'd be a lot different. uh, That's for sure. For starters, David Jenkins Jr. probably wouldn't be on the team. Um, He was kind of added as a last resort after Purdue missed on a couple of guys. That's not to say they didn't want Jenkins, but all all is fair here. Purdue didn't necessarily prioritize him right away. But yeah, I mean, he'd absolutely be a starter. Let's not act like Nigel Pack's not a quality player here. Uh, he certainly is. Uh, pulling up his stats right now, what he's doing on the season. But, you know, he's a good player. He was one of the most coveted players in the transfer portal for a reason. Uh, ooh, he's struggling a little bit. Uh, 11 points a game, 39% from the field, 32% from three, so... He's struggling. I don't know about that $800,000 investment from uh, the Ruiz guy. 
that's tough, but uh, those numbers will get better. He's a good player. Um, without a doubt, he's a good player, but I think Purdue likes what they have here. Um, you know, it's not like they're really struggling without him. It's not like you look at this team and say, man, if they had a guy like Nigel Pack, they'd be so much better. You know, he is smaller. He's more of an off-ball guy. And I think the area of biggest need would be either a dead-eye three-point shooter to be off the ball, which I don't know that he necessarily is. He's a good three-point shooter. Uh, The numbers certainly reflect that from his time at Kansas State, but... Um, he'd be good there, but you know, he's not a true point guard, which is Purdue's biggest need here behind Braden Smith. He'd absolutely be starting now, whether he would be starting alongside Smith, whatever. Again, I, I, I would, I think so. They love Braden Smith. They love what they have there, but I don't know if you can have two guards that small on the court together with him and Braden Smith. That'd present some defensive challenges, team chemistry. I don't know. Um, I do think this team has a nice chemistry so far. Uh, They seem to get along well. They seem to play well together. Um, You know, I don't, I don't, I can't speak to Nigel Pack's character, his personality, no idea. So whether it would affect chemistry or not, I don't know. But I think when, you know, when Purdue missed on him, when it came out that he was getting bought to go to Miami, Things changed quite a bit. Um, Things really, you know, fans were upset. Fans were really, really upset. Um, It was the first time Purdue had been the victim of the NIL game. We've heard Mitch Daniels even talk about that situation. So pretty crazy, Um, pretty crazy how things change and how, you know, we thought it'd be a rough season when Purdue didn't get them. Yet here we are and Purdue sits at number one and 11 and 0. Again, I'll be back sometime before Christmas. Um, Maybe we'll talk signing day, talk about the guys Purdue has coming in. Purdue takes on New Orleans on Wednesday. Hopefully, for Purdue's sake, there's not too much to talk about from that, but we'll do that. Again, Citrus Bowl preview will come between the holidays. I'll pre-record that. So if you have Citrus Bowl questions, send them over. Um... Should be a doozy. Um, That's going to be an interesting episode. So be sure to subscribe uh, wherever you get your podcasts so that you don't miss that. Follow along on Twitter, at Boilers Beyond. Ryan Walters is going to be putting together his staff more. Uh, Plenty more to talk about. Maybe transfer portal stuff. Who knows? Talk about that on uh, the midweek show as well. But that's all I've got for today. Uh, Take care, everybody. Get that last-minute Christmas shopping done. Uh, Stay warm. It's getting cold out here in the Midwest and take care. I look forward to talking to you then.